The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around the subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject. Welcome to episode 71 of The Things We All Carry. It's been a couple months since I put out a call for people interested in doing an impromptu interview. This is another in that series of pop-up interviews. Ryan is a captain with SAC Metro in California. He responded to my message and waited patiently as our schedule seemed to never align. Luckily, we were able to sit down and record recently. Ryan shares his own story of trauma and recovery before discussing his work as a peer support coordinator in this department. From deadly auto accidents to near misses on house fires, we talk about how and why it affected him. Ryan also talks about his experience with EMDR as well as brain spotting. His goal with the peer support program centers on making certain other firefighters know they aren't alone and are made aware of all the resources available to them. We kind of joined this conversation as he and I are already rolling along. I never got to do my typical lead-in for a guest, but it seemed like the right thing at the time. A quick reminder to please help us build a community which not only recognizes, but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at the things we all carry or email my story at the things we all carry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder, you know, love or care about y'all enjoy the show. I have, uh, I've screwed this up a couple of times where I've, I've had conversations, got done with some pretty emotional stuff and then discovered that, that I lost a recording and I just don't want to do it for anybody ever again like that. So I, I get it. Makes sense. So, uh, well, what I think what I'll do is with, with these, it's easiest for me to just say, um, you know what, how do I, how do I record on, on zoom though? If you find your screen at the bottom, it should be a record button. You can get the little tab right, right there. Yeah. Perfect. Recording in progress. There we go. There we go. All right. See, you're, you're teaching. So you're, you're alone for the ride as much as I am. Thanks. So I think the, the easiest way to do this is that I, I put out a call for people that maybe wanted to talk off the cuff and you answered and it was just one of those times where we're kind of struggling to find time to, to meet up and, and finally today works. So yeah. why don't I just throw the ball in your court, let you kind of introduce yourself, where you are, who you are, um, what you do, and and then we'll go from there and see what we get into. Okay, sounds good. Uh, well, my name's Ryan. I'm a I'm a captain here at, uh, in Sacramento area, Sacramento Fire. It's kind of a it's a large department, covers it over 400 square miles, and uh, it basically kind of covers uh, all the county area outside of Sacramento City. So we've got Sac City Fire, and then we kind of cover all the kind of either unincorporated unincorporated areas or the small town. We got Citrus Heights and Rancho Cordova. And so it's um it was kind of put together in 2000 by a bunch of small departments and they came together and just made one big big department. And I got hired in 2002. Been the captain since 2014. Um and uh been online all 20 years. I haven't gone on days or anything like that. And uh kind of got not sucked into the peer support stuff, but uh, my wife was going to school to be an MFT and this program popped up and I asked her about it. She said, yeah, you should do it. You know, at least 
we're kind of both studying the same thing and it, you know she she's very intuitive we've known each other since high school so she you know i think she saw some changes in me as i as my career was going on um and so i took the class it was a three-day basic class and i, I did what most people do they take the class and then they just go back to the fire station don't do really much with it you know and, and so uh and then as time progressed the more you know, I didn't know it at the time, more signs and symptoms of some stress was popping up and then had a pretty significant call that, that really kind of pushed me into more of a leadership role on for peer support. We, we have a, we have a, a gentleman that uh, kind of got it going in our area. And, um, and so he was trying to take a step back from some of the administrative stuff. And so I just volunteered and um, so I've been doing that for about four or five years and, and we're trying to kind of build a program to where one or two people aren't handling everybody's issues. We've got, you know, we've got probably 650, well, 600, 650 suppression. That's not even including, you know, support staff and fleet and all, all those kind of those people. And so it's a big, it's a fairly big department in our area. It's the biggest department in our area. And so it's quite a it's quite a lot, and um, just kind of been doing that for the last four or five years, trying to build that program up, and and uh, yeah, it's kind of where I'm at. Let's start with you though. The, where'd you grow up in Sacramento? No, I grew up in Stockton. Okay. Um, for so for those of South. us on the East Coast, explain where that is in in relation. Yeah, so Stockton is about an hour south of Sacramento. Okay. Uh, right in the middle of the San Joaquin Valley. So we're, we're, you know, it's one of those places where you're an hour and a half from the snow and an hour and a half from the, from the beach, right in the middle of California. Uh, Stockton is, is a difficult place to kind of live. It's, it's, it's had its share of problems and, um, you know, I was kind of happy to, to get out, to be honest. And, I uh, went to school, finished at Sac State, was going to be a physical therapist and, uh, did some internships. Ironically, they should have you do the internships at the beginning because when I did them towards the end of my schooling, it was boring. I mean, it was you're sitting there and you're just kind of you're just kind of rubbing, you know, this, the ultrasound on people, and you just, you know, the day took forever. And my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, recommended, "Hey, what's about firefighting or EMT, paramedic, that kind of that kind of stuff?" And so, um, took a first responder class at Sac State and loved it. And then when I graduated, went to EMT school and started, uh, got a job down in Stockton through with AMR. And it's the, it's kind of the wild west down there. It was busy and there's a lot of, a lot of traumatic calls. There's no real trauma center. So if you got a shooting, you just took them to wherever. And it was kind of all hands on deck with whatever hospital you ended up at. Um, and did that for about a year and then t- went to paramedic school, uh, and got finished all that that took another year and that was that was challenging we were on a kelly system which which is one on one off one on one off one on four off um i don't know if you guys have that out there that's exactly what i'm working and it's horrible yeah it's challenging yeah uh and so i was working a shift i was interning on b shift but basically working 96s and only get c shift days off Um, that's brutal yeah it was challenging it was it was a rough time i was the good thing was I was young, 24, 25. So, you know, you feel like you're invincible at that point. And you're like, oh, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I can handle it. Uh, but got through it and got my paramedic license, upgraded in Stockton. And that was, that was very, um, 
I mean, that was some of the best training I got was uh, Stockton Fire at the time was kind of trying to be ALS. They still had a lot of rigs that were BLS. So there were a lot of calls where I was hit. I was the only paramedic on scene. And you're just trying, you know, you're kind of assholes and elbows trying to get things done with this, with whatever help you could get. Uh, and so that was, that was entertaining to say the least. And, you know, especially for a young guy just getting in there, that was kind of what I was thirsting for was some action. And, and Stockton certainly provides that. Um, and then just started testing around the state. And back then, you know, it was, it was one of those, it was the environment where you'd have 1500 people testing for fire departments and they were hired four or five people. Uh, and so I just started testing. I drove to Monterey, Salinas. I was driving to Berkeley um, and started just testing around. And finally, uh, I took Sac Metro's test the first time. They had a written test. Didn't know there was a booklet involved with, with what the test was going to be on and augured in on that. And uh, like, okay, well, I'll keep testing. You know, it was fine. And then they tested again about a year and a half later and, and passed. And, you know, I was sitting at Cal Expo, which is a big, kind of where we hold the state fair. It's this big, you know, fairgrounds area. And we were just elbow to elbow, you know, just a, just kind of like cattle in this, in this, you know, cattle guard here. And we're all just kind of shuffling in to take this test. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to, you know, even if I pass these tests, there's 2,000 people here all fighting for jobs. Um, and, Luckily, scored high enough. I got, you know, having the book that helps, you know, when you're prepared for the test. Yeah, it makes a little bit of a difference, doesn't it? A little bit of a difference, yeah. Uh, and did well and, and got an interview and, and uh, you know, just kind of, you know, you take one step at a time. You pass the physical and you, you talk to another chief. So there's another chief interview. And back then, Metro was only two years old. So they were still trying to figure out what they were at the time. Um they had, you know, yeah, they took six or seven departments and just kind of molded us. So you had a bunch of guys that were fire chiefs that are now deputy chiefs and or assistant chiefs and figure out what their new job is. And, you know, so it was, it was, uh, we all had our, you know, we all had our growing pains, but um, eventually got hired on and just, you know, at the time we were, we have, a, we transport here uh, in the county. And so, Basically, they were looking for paramedics to staff all the ambulances because for years they they had they had hired, so they had a bunch of people that were on medics for ten years, just getting their teeth kicked in, and um, and so they hired a whole bunch of medics. They did hire some EMTs back then, uh, and yeah, then just started riding riding the ambulance. had a, had a year of probation, which was which was challenging on the ambulance because you're so busy. You, you you know you get suited up, you go do a wet drill, throw in some ladders. There's so few medics, you're in service. And so immediately when you get a call, you're just sweaty and throw your stuff back on the rig and go run a call. And and uh, it's just it's a very busy system and it's just been getting busier. Um and yeah, so so from there it's been, you know, slowly running calls and then promoted engineer a little while after that, man, to captain and and that's kind of where I'm at. So I've been doing it for now for twenty years and going up on twenty one and yeah. So no, I do. you said that your wife picked up on, on changes. Yeah. So, um, when was that? That was probably, probably about 2015, 2016. Um, you know, so we have four kids and at the time she wasn't working. So single income. So I was working a bunch of overtime. So mm -hmm. I was working 13 days out of the month 
or 14, you know, depending on mandatories and all that, 13, 14 days a month. So it was busy. Uh, I don't sleep well at the fire station, even if I, even if we don't run calls, I still wake up, you know, I'll just groggy. Um, and then when I would come home, you know, have a, have a drink, you know, or one or two, and then two turns into three, you know, and I, at the time it feels good, but then somebody needs something or something breaks or somebody needs dinner. And so all those things were just compound over time and got way more irritable, um, just short with people got the, which I'm sure a lot of people get uh, with their spouse. Where are you? You're not here with us. And you know, me being the way I am, like I'm right here. I just, you know, that kind of, that kind of stuff. And, um, and so she started noticing that stuff. And then I had a, I had a moment, which was, I think my daughter at the time was eight. And one of my sons was, was my daughter and my son. So I have three boys and a girl. Uh, the daughter was eight. The son that was there was 11 or 12. And they're downstairs and they're just, they're probably just playing, but they're loud, you know, and it's, and it's just, it's the noise it's that, you know, you get that, ah, the, the abrupt noise was driving me nuts. Yeah. And I, I snapped, I went down and, um, they're just, they were just playing in the hallway, but I, you know, you kind of just, it's kind of like the, the shark and fighting me where the ice just turned black. And that, that's kind of where I was. I, there was no reason for it. Snap. And I just, it was about a minute tirade of yelling and cuss words. And I still remember this to this day. My poor daughter, um, was, was kind of crouched in her, in her, in her bedroom with her hands over her ears. And I saw it. And I just couldn't stop. I was, it was kind of like tipping over a glass of milk. I was off to the races with, with this rant. And I didn't even wait for a reply. I just, you know, I just, I let it out and turned around and walked outside and just sat out back, knowing exactly what I did. Couldn't stop it. Um, and I just sat out there for probably 45 minutes till my wife came home. And, uh, and I didn't check on him. I didn't I was just sitting outside and finally my wife came outside. Even my son had probably told, would tell her, and I'm glad he did. Um, and she came out and she was looking at me like, what the hell just happened? And I go, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I just snapped. I was, they, they probably weren't doing anything wrong. Loud. And yeah, you know, I'm sure I tried to, it goes, you know how they get, you know, they're just loud. It's driving nuts. And, um, just snapped. And she goes, well, she was very direct. She goes, that's never going to happen again. You need to go talk to somebody. And I just, I knew, I go, you're right. Okay. And so I immediately called up uh, the firefighter was talking about earlier, the kind of set up the peer support program here. I called him and he set me up with a clinician. Um, and it was interesting because I, you know, I, we've been to, we've been to marriage counseling and that kind of stuff in the past. And, and I felt like I had a good grasp on when I needed it, I didn't need it. And I was like, I, you know, at the time I thought I'm okay with this stuff. And, and obviously after this, I was like, no, there's probably something more going on here. And, uh, went and talked to a clinician and she, she's like, you know, she's like, well, why are you here? And I go, oh, I just got, I've got some anger issues. I think going on more irritability. And I told her the whole, it's something probably half, half the session to go through the whole issues with my wife or with the kids and, and why I was upset and this and that, how I felt. And she goes, well, that's, that sounds like a very interesting day. She asked how my kids were. And I, at that point I, I had talked to them and apologized and, and, um, uh, you know, I could tell my daughter was still shaken up by it. And so, um, 
question was like, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you something. You're gonna think it's completely unrelated. Okay, well let's let's have it. And she goes, why don't you tell me about the worst call you've ever been on? I go, well, that's interesting. That doesn't, you know, I didn't put the two or two together. Like, I don't think that has anything to do with this. But um, I sat back and thought about it and go, well, there's there's two calls that immediately pop up. She goes, well, I'll just pick one. And we'll we'll go through both of them. And so I I went through the two calls. One was from 2001 when I was still in Stockton, you know, and there was this vehicle accident with a car caught on fire. And there were a couple of kids that got killed and very, very big incident. Uh, and went through all the details. I mean, I could remember walking the smell of the car on fire going around to where this other car was. And it was the first time, um, basically a car tried to pass somebody, clipped cars and all these other cars start, you know, just everybody's kind of tailspinning at that point. And an explorer caught on fire, a mom and a kid burned up in there. And and look, thankfully, some bystanders were able to pull the other two kids out, but they were burned. So as I'm walking up, I can see the two kids screaming, they've got burns, are still on fire. Um, and the fire department's just, you know, just now getting water on it. I go around them, they tell me there's a there's a another car behind it. Couldn't see it because of the car fire. So I get over there and I can see um, there's people in a Volvo. Uh, one kid, you know, one, the, the driver has her arm hanging out the window. I look in there and there's, you know, uh, there's a, yes, three kids in the back and two, two adults in the front. And I go up to the arm. I go up to the lady who was driving the car. I go, Hey, are you okay? Are you okay? And she's dead, which caught me by surprise. It'd been the first time I just kind of walked up on somebody that you expect to be alive. She was dead. I look at the kid behind her. He's dead. I look at the, the other kid that's in the middle, um, was in a car seat. Uh, she looked dead when she ended up being, uh, had passed away. And so then passenger seat kid was alive. He was in pain, you know, screaming. And then the, the passenger in the front seat had, I think, two broken femurs. And, you know, they were trying to cut her out. So it was very, so I've gone through this whole call with the clinician. And she goes, wow, that's, that sounds like, you know, obviously a very intense call. Um, and then she thought, she asked me about the other call and it was, uh, it was a Rancho, Rancho Cordova is a little bit outside of, a little east of Sacramento. It's a, it's a town, it's a city. Yeah, they, they, they have a, uh, Rancho PD is basically Sac County Sheriff's. They, they contract with them to do the policing. And there's this old time, there's this old officer uh ride a motorcycle he always had a stogie in his mouth uh salty guy and he, he was he went he was going after a, an, an individual that was speeding and he got clipped and did the whole motorcycle wobble probably going 35 maybe a little faster lays the bike down he's uh skidding feet first down the road and into the it's going you know 30 miles an hour somebody to a full right four post and the post kind of gets his legs and takes, takes a leg off. Um, so by the time we get there, there's a, there's obviously there's chaos already. There was another engine already there. I was on an engine at the time driving and I could see his partner. Like all I saw was his partner in the gutter, just wailing, just screaming. And then as we pulled past the kind of block traffic, I see a leg in the gutter. Whoa, you know, what is, what is going on here? I go up, we go up, we start treating, treating them. And, you know, I recognize them. We go to calls with them. 
And he, you know, he was a just he looked to be one of those cops that would come by the station, hang out, do paperwork, and he kind of got to know him a little bit. So uh, obviously he he passed away. So these were calls that I went over with the clinician that um what I learned later very specific on the details. You know, I could remember very specific things on those. And she brought that up and she goes, Well, tell me about the last three calls you ran last set. I yeah, I couldn't remember them. They're right. all kind of the scale, kind of molded in the same. They're all the same. Okay, sick, belly pain, whatever. Um, she goes, so, you know, so the way she described it was those calls were, you know, they're right in your face. They're still there. You haven't processed them. You probably just didn't even want to talk about them, uh, which is true. Yeah, yeah I was was say, wanna... of course you don't want to talk about them. Right, yeah. And so we started doing some EMDR with both of them. And it took, you know, it took some se- several sessions and, and uh, works for me. It, it was very, it was very helpful, and also got some more tools as far as how that you know learning how those calls you know the whole cup fills up, and spills over, and it wasn't wasn't those calls. It was all the other calls, the lack of sleep, the drinks at night. Now you, you know what I realized. You know, I drink at night, days off. Now you're not sleeping well at home or at work, and it right. just everything compounds. And so started learning all that stuff. Um, and realizing the the impact was that, you know, when I was 20, I, I could handle it. Now, at the time I'm 35, 26, and it, it's it's wearing on me a little bit. So, so that was, that. those were the, after doing all that therapy, the, the, seeing the clinician and, and having that, those treatments or, you know, the therapy, so to speak, just gave me a lot more tools as far, and the other thing I learned for it was like, you know, these are some things to watch out for when they're coming home. Cause you know, I would want 48, 96 is now, um, you know, so we're, we're there two days, but if you're up for two days, you know, she's like, just realize when you're walking through that door, they all want, every family wants to see you. They want to hug you. They want to do things with you. You may not be ready for that. Um, and so that, and she goes, talk to your wife about it. She's probably learning it in school anyways, but, uh, you know, have those conversations and what helped with that was I could tell her, I could tell my wife, I, I need to take a nap. You know, I just need to, I need some time alone. You know, I'll re-engage here in a little bit, but I need, I need some time. And so that was, and she's been very understanding of that. And she actually has been helpful or she, he recognizes it sometimes if I don't, uh, she'll, she'll sit there and go, Hey, look like you might need to take a nap or take some time. You know, one, I'll handle dinner. I'll handle the kids. Um, why don't you go relax a little bit? And that, and that's been very helpful. So it's, that's kind of where that led to. So what year was, was that when you, when you did the EMDR? Oh, let's see. We're still, it's probably been 48, probably been, boy, it might be 10 years now, what, 10 years ago. What was your experience with it? How, how was it set up for you? Like, cause I've heard I, some people have used noise. Some people have used light. Some people have used just like fingers moving back and forth. What was, yeah. how was that set up for you? And why did you find it to be so, uh, so effective? So the way she set it up, I had earphones, I had earphones on my head and then she had, I think there were waves, you know, crashing waves and it would go left to right. And the way she described it was all, she was all I want you to do is she just listen to music and you cross, you go through those calls from beginning to end over and over and over. And, and how she described, she's like, you're never going to forget those calls. Um, but it's kind of described how it's kind of trapped in your brain a little bit by doing the sound on both sides. It kind of unlocks 
those parts of your brain so you can process it a little bit. And it goes from being right in your face to just, you know, arm's length away. It's out there still, but you're not, you're not holding that, that trauma so much. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of processing a little bit. And kind of what I've learned is, you know, you read, I'm sure you've read, you know, the body keeps the score and some other guys that have done some intense trauma stuff is the more you kind of talk about it, the more you kind of you can process it, it, it doesn't sit there as much. Yeah. You know, that makes no, sense. That it's makes total fine. sense. Yeah. It's not, yeah. it's not as ever present. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's how it, and up, you know, typical fireman are like, oh, it's food you. This is, you know, this is magic. This is going to work for me. Uh, and it took some time. I mean, it, she, she would ask me, it was weird. If I would bring up the call with her, you'd kind of feel it in your chest a little bit, a little bit of, I guess, anxiety or something like that. Like that you're walking towards, I know I'm walking towards the car. I know I'm going to find some dead kids and, and a dead driver. Okay, well, keep doing, keep processing a little bit, and it just got easier and easier. Um, and talking about it, because I, I might have told my wife's broad strokes on that call, but I never told her details, which I, I still don't know that I have, but I probably never told anybody details on that. Um, and so it was just a way to kind of, however it works in the brain, going left to right, um, and and constantly going over in your, in your head. Was it was it works for me. Um, I've also done brain spot. I, I had another call where I did, I had to go back and, and do some brain spotting. And that one was, that one was weird. Hey guys, quick break right here just to check in and thank each of you for listening to the show. Your support has been paramount and I appreciate all of you. I have one request though. I need you to share the show with everyone you know. Help me get the word out and spread these stories as far and as wide as we can. While you're at it, please leave a review of the show wherever you happen to listen. Feel free to reach out to me at any time to share your story, to talk, or to pass on suggestions. Let's get on with the rest of the show. No, I was going to ask you to kind of explain that. Well, yeah, the, the, the brain spotting one uh, was attached to another call. that This call actually got me more into the peer support world. Um, we had a... Um, I'm just at the dinner table telling war stories. <laughs> um, I was on a truck. So down here in Sac County, we, we run a lot of house fires. That's kind of our bread and butter. A lot of garage fires and house fires, one story, two stories. Uh, that's kind of mostly what we do. And uh, so we it was two in the morning. We ran, we got dispatched to a house fire. The station I was at was engine, truck, medic, and protection. So all four rigs pile out of there we show up and, and it's a two-story it's a one-story house that had been remodeled it's, it's a home and board kind of facility so it was a it's probably a three-tier house you know three bedrooms two bedroom and the guy had kind of chopped it up made it bigger it was like a nine bedroom three bed bathroom house which you don't expect all the time in some of these areas and so we got there and there's fire turtle bravo side you guys use out bravo delta yeah. 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 okay Fire on the Bravo side. We had fire blown out of the Charlie side, uh, and we were on the on the truck. There's just smoke pumping out of the eaves, so we laddered it. Um, and you know it's dark and smoke, and you can't see very well. We ended up having a burst hose line underneath. Hmm. And what I didn't know at the time, the guy when he remodeled it and extended it, he just put a new roof over the old roof. So we had a pitch over a pitch roof, mm -hmm. which we have places where you have pitch over flat, but we don't have pitch over pitch, especially in that particular area. So we cut a hole, we lubered, 
I'm hitting the first roof. I'm not getting anything. And I can hear they got a, a bus hose line and they're trying to get another line back there. And now I've got a blowtorch out of that hole, back up a little bit. By our ladder, I had sounded, I was already punching through the, the decking and I had smoke out of there. So I figured I had fire between us and our ladder. Mm-hmm. And so I called for another ladder on the Bravo side. We had the initial ladder was on the Delta side. So called for ladder on the Bravo side, backed up, cut another hole and hit the roof again. And now basically the fire was between both roofs. And so nobody can get to it because they're not getting to it from underneath and yeah. I'm not pushing through. So that internal thought like, all right, we're down. It's time to get out of here. I assumed we had a ladder on the Bravo side. Uh, took one step, went in up to my hip. And my firefighter with the saw went in. He reached for me, went in up to his knee. And so now we've got smoke and fire kind of all around us. And I and I get on the radio, punch out a mayday. So we were able to kind of pull ourselves out and tell my firefighter, hey, go back to our ladder. That's kind of our only shot at this point. And so he heads back. And I bear crawl, I basically bear crawled across the roof and got off, got off the ladder. I had a burn on my hip. So I was, I was off comp for a little bit. And, um, you know, it was very, it was a very intense call. So that was day one. That was our first night. So it was supposed to work the next day and, uh, ended up getting sent home because of the burn. And as I'm driving home, it's about a 35 minute drive to get home. I just pulled over and broke down. I was a mess. Um, just pulled myself together and exhausted. Been up since two in the morning, and you start going, "What the hell did I miss? What did we miss? What happened?" This is what we do these calls all the time, and these weird construction features. Things weren't going right. You know, those whole Swiss cheese holes were lining up pretty quick, and so um, pull myself together, drive home. My wife's still she's still a stay-at-home mom at the time, and uh, she's like, "What are you doing home?" I start telling her. What happened? Full apart again. I'm just a mess at this point. And um, the peer support lead met me at, our, at the burn center initially. He's like, hey, call me later. I'm going to get some sleep, but call me. So, map, um, and woke up, called him, and got sent up with a, an appointment with another clinician. Because I knew it, was, it had always kind of scrambled my brains a little bit because I was pulling apart. I couldn't hold it together. So, I went and saw it was a different clinician. And told her what happened, and we started doing some brain spotting. And it's it's weird. It, it's it's weird because I can't explain how it works or why it works. But you know, she's got a pointer, and she's she's like, "How do you feel here?" You know, she she's just holding. I go, "I'd be okay there." And then she move it. And it, at a certain point, you just kind of feel a little. For me, it was a little anxiety, a little tingling. Like I don't feel very comfortable here for some reason. She goes, "All right, just stay there. Now let's start talking about this incident." So somehow it. Whatever, wherever your eyes line up that connects with that part of your brain that's kind of dealing with the trauma. Um, and I'm probably not explaining it you know, all the way correctly, but just stay there wherever you don't feel comfortable and we're going to talk about it and, and process it and go through it. So I, I don't remember how many sessions I did with her, but you know, it, it worked. It kind of got me through that. I still had some issues. We had a big AAR afterwards and you know, as you're going through the call, the radio traffic's ramping up and I know what's coming and I start getting sweaty hands and all that stuff. And, and so it was something I still had to, had to process through. Um, but I, I really realized at that point, as far as peer support on, uh, it was, I appreciated him meeting me at the burn center at six in the morning at that point. Um, 
and just checking in, just going, hey, man, you know what this is going to do. It's going to, you know, this is a big incident because he had a similar one. That's kind of what got him into it. And so, um, so I, I, I don't know if I'm just, I, I know there's clinicians and my wife could explain much better than I can because she does it now. She does brain spotting. Um, but it, it's, it's a very calming situation. And for me, it worked. They both worked to just, and I, and I think more of it is just talking about it. And the more times you talk about it, the, the easier it gets, you know, it doesn't kind of stick in there quite so much. I think that's whatever, what they all ha- kind of have in common is, is the fact that yeah. it, it brings it out of you no matter what. You know, yeah. whether it's EMDR where you're doing the 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 left right brain type, you know, retraining, or if it's the brain's body, whatever it is, you're still having to talk about it. Yeah, and it's kind of a, a in in my imagination, I see them both as a reordering of the thoughts. Yeah, so it, yeah. it, it makes sense that way. Yeah, and and we've sent some people to uh, University of Central Florida that are doing some, I guess, some yeah. heavy duty trauma stuff. Well, they, restores. We, yeah. Yeah. And it's very intense and it, it basically makes you process it. You know, the more times you go through it, it I talked about I had to look at which episode it was. I talked to Chris. He's from Florida. He went to restores and it was a it was a oh, fascinating okay. conversation. He did yeah, he he does. He he described it as more of a desensitization training or a therapy. Okay. Which yeah. I didn't realize was kind of a thing, but I, I guess it's kind of rebranded in a way under some of these other uh names. So yeah, yeah I, I I'm a little familiar with Restores, and so I, I know I know kind of what their program is about. It's it's fascinating facility. Yeah, yeah, it sounds it sounds like it. So then, how do you get? I know you you briefly touched on it. How do you get into the peer support? You kind of fell into it, and your wife kind of suggests the training, correct? Yeah. Uh, so basically, what happened? So a firefighter named Jeff was basically the lead. He was, he, and he still is. He's kind of the guy, right? If you need a if you need something, you call Jeff. And he was, they, the region here had built a uh, regional peer support program, and he was in charge of our fire department. And at a certain point, um, especially after the fire, after the, the one where he met me at the burn, at the burn unit, um, he sent out an email because he was always in charge of uh, classes. You know, we've got quarterly trainings, we've got some classes coming up, and he would track everybody and get people to come. And at a certain point, he goes, Hey, I'm looking to step back from all the administrative stuff. I just want to peer support does anybody want to do it i'm like sure i'll you know i'll do it i think you know i'll take some load off of his plate and um and so we met and he started and he said to tell me this multiple times because i'm not you know he starts getting into the budget and, and here's all the money we have for this and administrative leave hours so when we're trading uh if you're in peer support you get time off if you're on duty so the the district has agreed to cover that kind of stuff so that's kind of what we, what I agreed. I, you know, I, I was like, hey, and he was, and he won't be through it for about a year, year and a half still. And, and he's still, I'm still in touch with him on certain things because um, he kind of built our program. Uh, so I just thought that's kind of how I got more involved in it. And we realized between the three shifts, it would make sense to have one person on each shift kind of responsible for whatever happens on those shifts. Because obviously, if I'm off and something's going on right now, it'd be nice to have somebody at least scheduled there so right. we added we added a coordinator for each shift so there's a b and c shifts um i stayed on b so i so really i'm i'm just a lead i'm not the lead i'm a lead that also does budget and administrative stuff well, um I, and there's a regional meeting i gotta go to every month and uh that's 
it's actually quite interesting. It's like um, the, the union here, 522, covers, I don't know what it is, set six departments in the region. So Sac City, us, Folsom, Roseville, Roseville's not in it, but they, they cover all the surrounding areas here. And they, the history on it's a little cloudy for me, but I, my understanding is they decided to start a peer support program, a regional one. And so this, there's a committee where each department that's involved meets once a month and we have a clinician, we have a peer support uh, professional in there. We've got a, a chaplain in there. And so we just meet, we talk about what we're going to do in the region as far as classes and trainings and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and so we've kind of, and everybody pitches in, pay, I think it's 15 bucks per person in the department. So, you know, our bill is around 10 grand a year. And if you're a small department, it's a couple hundred bucks. And we kind of, we, we talk about the different kind of trainings that we want to do and, and eat there and that kind of stuff. And, and for example, uh, lately we've, the last year and a half or so, we've included spouses. So we realize that spouses don't know what we're doing for, you know, whatever it is, two, three days at a time. And they, we come home, been gone for that amount of time and they just want to hang out with us, talk to us, do stuff with us. And most of us are like, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to make a decision. I just want to sit over here and decompress. And so we started having spousal classes where only spouses could go. We bring in some professionals and some clinicians and just kind of talk about what we're going through at, at the fire department as far as our brain chemistry, you know, just being up for two days straight, what that's like and dealing with the public and not, you know, they're not always appreciative of the, of the help that they, they're offered, you know, and, and what that kind of does over time. Uh, to our psyche, I guess. And so sometimes just giving them some tools as far as uh, how they can maybe help us or having, you know, know what the signs and symptoms are for us so they can help us recognize them as well, you know, kind of team up a little bit. Because a lot of them just like, I don't know what to do. I don't, you know, I tried talking to them. I tried letting them relax. And he's not engaging. He's just engaged. And so that's the kind of stuff that the committee has kind of come up with. It's, it's been pretty fun actually to, to build some of that stuff. Um, and so that's kind of, and that's not, so that's how I got into peer support. I, you know, I just answered an email and, and started going, well, how can we make this bigger and better and get, get, get things out to the, to the rank and file, so to speak. And so always looking for new, new things on a, on a shoestring budget. You know, we, I don't get, I don't, I do this all at work. On my free time you know it's not it's not a day spot so it's it's whatever we can come up with during that time we, we try and build it and resource out and get programs built so so with the you know that training with the spouses and and the regional training it what what is i guess my question is going to be what does mental health look like in the state and and then at your de- department level i mean is it proactive is it reactive is it how how is that handled it's it's been more reactive, uh, just because of the stigma, right? There's there's always that that stigma part of it, but I think we're we're really starting to pivot and you know turn that leadership around and it takes forever to be more proactive. So the California Professional Firefighters Association is you know obviously for California, they've been really aggressive in um, just social media and emails and getting the word out there. They've got a whole website called Healing Our Own got a lot of resources on there, interviews and that kind of stuff. So they've been pushing it quite a bit. That's kind of been my goal at Metro Fires, people proactive and how do we 
how do we how do we have a safety that kind of catches people before you know things are getting off off tracks and you know divorces and, and calling in sick all the time the state you know we're without getting too political here just mm. in, in california uh you know they they're they're open to, to helping firefighters they're you know it's always kind of a it's always they, they want to support it um and it, and it is it is supported now and i and i think it's getting a lot better there is still a stick for, for me um you know that I, there's there's things you that we'd like for for me I think you know I know I think I've heard on one of your one of your last podcasts as far as debriefings is, and how ineffective they can be I you know and the big ones I I agree those 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 are kind of challenging at times I do think at least from the ones I've done some diffusings have been effective at least as far as having just a basic conversation especially with young guys um, our department's a big turnover here where I'm. 48, but I'm, I am the old guy. There's a lot more young guys here than, than old. Uh, and, uh, I think a lot of them want to prove that they can handle this stuff and they want to prove that they're okay. And so we're trying to be more proactive by, we have a class in the, in the, uh, recruit Academy. We have a class an hour long talking about mental health. The captain's Academy, the BC academies both have an hour long class about what they can do in a new rate as far as mental health, you know, just being aware, building those relationships, um, that kind of stuff. So to kind of answer your question, we're in a gray area that I think is heading in the right direction as far as being more proactive on some of this stuff. And I, and the nice thing is when I started this five years ago, helping out, I got no calls from people as far as requesting resources. And now, you know, I get a couple of calls. Well, no, it's, it ebbs and flows, but you know, like this past month, I've had two people reach out for resources. And so that part has been nice that not nice that they need it, but they recognize it and they're asking for help. So how do you activate a peer support member? It's like, is it a phone call from, Hey, or is it from, from an individual or is it, or is it you paying attention to what these high acuity calls that go out and then you're, then you reach out to people. So yeah. Um, there's, there's a couple of ways, uh, usually with like the marital stuff where people just struggling, they just, every email I send out regarding peer support, my number's on there. My phone number is always on there. And, and I've sent, we have a running list of the people that are rostered and we have a website we pay into with other departments called Firestrong. So we try and send that stuff out, but you know, firefighters being the way they are, the, the emails kind of get lost in the translation or delayed or, you know, that kind of stuff. But, um, but the nice thing with the goal here, the goal here was always to have 10% of our membership trained in peer support. So that's about 70 people. So the, the goal is no matter where you are on whatever ship, there's somebody that hopefully knows that is on peer support that you can call. You don't always have to call me or, or one of the other leads. That's really, the, I can't handle everybody. So the goal is to get, get that, those numbers out there so they can reach out. As far as the high acuity calls or the, the, um, We've had a couple of things in place. So like pediatric codes, mm -hmm. um, we do electronic PCRs here. And the nice thing is we can set up software, which we, we set up some software and I don't know how they did it. I just said, Hey, you know, these, this department has this, can we do it? They worked it out. And so basically whatever buttons they push for a pediatric code, myself, the Asian uh, coordinator, the C-SHIP coordinator, get a random email from 
the software program, their software program, I guess. And it just, all it says is uh, this crew and the, this engine and these guys that were on the engine went on a pediatric coat. So you get, you capture those people. Doesn't, doesn't tell you who the patient was. There's no HIPAA stuff in there at all. It's, it's literally just the, the apparatus and the people. And then what we do, if it's on B-Shift, I'll email them and go, I got it. That way we're not kind of doubling up our efforts right. and, and pounding people. And they'll do the same with us. And so, um, so then I just, I'll reach out and we've got an unofficial roster and I'll just either make a phone call or shoot a text or maybe go over there and go, Hey, do you guys want to talk about this? If not, that's fine, but I'm going to email you at least some resources. And here's things to look out for. Here's how you contact clinician. If you want help with that, please let me know. And that's, that's as being as proactive as I think we can get with that, to kind of capture those calls. It's, um, the MCIs and fire fatalities and that kind of stuff has been a little more challenging. Our dispatch system here is back was built in the eighties. Okay. We're st- yeah. We're still working on upgrading that. So there's a lot of codes in there that, that, uh, have to be upgraded. But what the nice thing that's been good over the last couple of years is I've, I've literally been called. I was at Costco once and I got a phone call from our, a dispatcher saying, Hey, there's an MCI going on right now up in this area. Um, just putting it on your radar. And so on my phone, I can start pulling up who's on it and start making contact with ACs or or the BC that, that might be aware. I'm sure they're aware of it, but start making those contacts. Go, hey, you guys need a debriefing or diffusing or anything like that. Let me know. We'll start setting it up. And, um, and and so what's nice is I've gotten multiple calls like that from from BCs. Go, hey, this happened. Can you check in with them? And so the, the awareness part of it has been nice that even BCs on up are, are reaching out and going, you know, these guys had this call, very significant, or let's set let's set up a debriefing or diffusing or something like that, and, and start having these conversations. So, when you say diffusing, what do you mean by that? So, diffusing is more of a it's a it's 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 something that these is supposed to happen within eight hours of the incident, and it's much smaller. The way we kind of do it is um, usually I'll just go to the station that that was on the call. So if it's an engine medic, we'll go out and I'll call the BC. Hey, these guys want to talk about this. They've always been supportive. They go out of service. I head over there. Usually, my if it's speed shift, I'll put my rig out of service. Also, we kind of head over there and just lay out some ground rules. It's basically kind of like a small deep ranging. Hey, you know, if you were on the call, no, no offense, but let's let's head over here. It's just the guys who are on the call. So, and no phones. It's all confidential. We're not getting into who messed up what the whole goal of this is to start talking about it a little bit, start processing it a little bit, kind of like with therapy stuff, just the more you talk about it, the, the easier it kind of gets and you start processing it. So usually it takes about a half hour and you, know, you don't have to talk. You don't want to, but I would encourage you to at least say what you did. Um, and if there's questions, we can ask them. And then at the end, it usually helps with the, the company officer starts because then the, cause the younger guys are probably a little nervous to talk and um, just talk about the incident and go around it. And then at the end, I go, okay, well, you know, here's some things to look out for over the next couple of weeks. Here, you know, have some good coping skills. Don't drink on your four days. Get some good sleep on your four days. Um, if you can, I get it. Light kind of kicks in and, and all that kind of stuff. It's just give them some tools as they leave to go home 
that they don't sit there and stew on the call and think, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that. Just kind of start that and then also offer up, you guys, you guys have a phone number. Here's the resources we have available with our EAP. If you want to talk to somebody, realize that we can attach services to this call and it gets you more in-depth. It gives you more more visits and they're longer visits so they can do the EMDR and brain spotting kind of stuff. And so, and it's all, the way I, the way I approach is like, I can set it up for you. I can walk you through it. I can do whatever you guys need to, to get this set up. Um, just let me know if you want. And most times, I think, most times guys, once they start talking about it, that seems, they seem to be doing pretty well. Like, I think most of us compartmentalize pretty well and talking about it usually is enough. Um, but we've got a couple of guys that just have that, that dark cloud. You know, one guy had a couple of pediatric fatalities in a week, you know, and it's, it's just on those I'd go, I really think you should at least try and talk to a clinician once and see if anything pops out. Just see, if, just see what happens. Do you guys have clinicians on staff? No. No, but uh, through that committee, through the regional committee, we vet uh, clinicians so that they're culturally competent clinicians and there's a running list um, that the whole region is aware of. We are here at MetroFire that, uh, that we negotiated our last contract to get money so that the district is paying. So the district agreed to a certain amount and that money is going to our union to work on a increasing our behavioral health resources or whatever they, whatever we kind of deem appropriate and they'll and which is great. And so it's a significant amount of money and we're supposed to get that, I think in November. So hopefully we start having meetings after the summer, as far as how we want to incorporate that. And, you know, I've got my opinions on what I think would work. I think most people think we're just going to hire a clinician. I think if we do that, the clinician has to do other things. They can't see 600 you know, suppression people. It's and plus the other issue that I see with that is if they don't do marital stuff for kids or that, you know, you kind of lock into whatever special or if you just don't like the clinician, right? You're never going to go see them. So, um, but the nice thing is it's 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 funding that we get to decide kind of how we we use it to help the, the membership. So that's that's promising. It's kind of a big, a little daunting. You don't want to screw it up. I mean. You're, most departments don't get this. Right. And we realize that. So we're trying to, you know, I've been, I reach out to other departments and um, see what they would do or see what they do to like our California corrections, I think has 60,000 employees and I'm in contact with their lead psychologist. I think she's a psychologist runs her behavioral health. And she's, she's been great. She's like, here's what I would do. You know, I'm around 60,000 people. You need somebody that does this, does this, does this. You know, and so I'm trying to grab as much resources as I can. So when I do go to our, our VP at the union, go, hey, here's what I recommend. You guys obviously have the final say, but, you know, that way we kind of don't mess things up. And I think that my next question is going to be just that. Where do you think you want to see the future of your peer support and, and, and in general, mental wellness in, in your department, in your state? Where do you want to see that head? That's a that's a big question. I Oh, it's a massive I, question. Yeah, that's the yeah, thing. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Try to break that down piece yeah. by piece. Yeah. I so the interesting thing that I, I when I was talking to to um Brianna's a psychologist at the corrections and she's and she was very she's very smart. And she's like, look, if you're trying to change the culture, you have to it's gonna take time. All right, it's one of those things that, that 
take five, 10 years. And she goes, it's very much like when physical fitness became important in the 80s and the 90s. And all of a sudden we're hiring coaches and we have a health and wellness area. And, you know, that took 10, 15 years to get that department kind of built up. Because you need something like that to where if you hire a clinician, they're they're having some classes, they're going to the academy, they're having more than just a one-hour class. They're talking more in depth about the grind of this this profession. I mean, over here, we've got kids that are hired at 23, and if they want their full pension, they need to go to 57. I mean, that is, that's a That's, that's a, a massive long, amount of time. That's a long time. And, right. And we all, I mean, I'm 48, down until we had to work another nine years. I, you know, I, that's, that's very daunting a little, you know, to, especially if you don't have the seniority into a slower house and you finally get some sleep and which is most places in our department now don't sleep very much. Um, so I like some of the stuff that I, I pulled from FDNY. I don't you know I, what I liked about what they had, what they've got little, um, health and wellness centers. I think they've got five of them throughout different boroughs in the city that are just for the fire department. And, and they, then it's free. I don't know how they paid for it. It's been a while since I've read the article, but they've got the health wellness actually where guys, guys want to go have a class or talk to a clinician, they can just go and, and talk to them. And there's gotta be some, you know, some limit to mm. that. Um, but I think that having a health and wellness center that's kind of fully funded. So either through donations or, or however it's funded would, would be great. Um, I like, so we, you know, we have EAP, we've got, we've got multiple clinicians that don't take EAP. There are some programs out here that I like where you have a network of, you basically, some, some therapists are building their own network and you, and they're culturally competent. They can handle different calls and trauma. They're, they know first responders, cops and fire. And basically you pay that company a certain amount per month for so many clinician hours. I like that because it gives you a variety of clinicians. You're not just stuck with one. If you don't like that one, you know what I mean? So you can, the network has a variety of clinicians that have a variety of specialties. So if you have shit issues, you can go see this. And it's something that, you know, is kind of covered with, with the part. Um, you know, that again, that, and I think that could be covered with what we've got coming in, in November. And it's, again, it's going to come down to multiple people having opinions, but, Changing the culture, I think, is a big one. You got to get it. You got to get at the fire stations and have conversations with people and having someone that's, you know, can explain brain spotting better than I can or EMDR and kind of why that's important and, and start start doing that. I, I'm, to be honest with you, I hadn't even heard about the New York City thing. The 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 mental health centers. Um, I know we have our own. We have a, what we call the Resilient Center in in my county. And yeah. it, it's like that. It's you, you have them. They're kind of there's one for police, one for fire, one for each. You know, and so then there's spillover too. So there's a few clinicians that yeah. work there, and it and it's free. We can we can sign up and go. Um, we can, we can go on duty, but we have to take some sick time, or you just go off on your off time. Um, okay, but it's it's invaluable if you ask me. I I started doing it a year and a half or so ago, and and I haven't been back in a, in a. It's been a couple. It's been about a month and a half since I've been back right now. And so it's just something that if you can get more people to take advantage of it, it would be wonderful because it is a free resource. And and I think that yeah. is one part of the future for departments that should be kind of built in, you know, 
is yeah. someone that's familiar with the population of first responders that that is trained to 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 do that the therapy and the counseling. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's what I think is, is kind of the goal is increasing those resources to the point where you, you have to make it easy for firefighters because we'll just go home and do things, you know, oh, we can fix it, I'll, I'll be fine, I'll just get a nice sleep and everything will be easy there. And so I think the more, the easier you make it, uh, I think it's more effective. And and the, and the more you talk about it, I mean, it's, it's just something that I'm, you still have guys that are struggling, you know, that don't want to talk about that kind of stuff where they think, other guys need to just suck it up and, and, and do it or handle the job the way they should handle the job. Um, it's just, it's just a, it's a grind. It, it just is. There's not a lot of sleep and it's not even dramatic calls a lot of the time. It's just a lack of sleep. You're just year after year after year, it just builds up over time and you're just kind of getting worn down and then top off, you know, a critical call here, a critical, critical call there. You know, it's just, it's kind of overwhelming sometimes when you think about it. So what about you personally? What, where do you think you're headed personally? What you, on the job, what do you, what do you, what are some goals of your, of your own? Uh, I don't have any more goals. We just had a BC stats and I came out, you know, pretty, I, it did okay. And uh, I don't know if I'll get a job out of it, but, um, beyond that, um, continue to build this program as much as I can. I've got, you know, I've got probably six, seven years left. And the, the goal is, you know, we're trying to get a peer support member on days. Uh, one of our neighboring departments has that. He's busy all the time. He's taking calls. He's driving to stations and having conversations with people, whatever it is. So I got to kind of figure that one out. Um, I got to get ready for retirement. I realized a couple years ago that all I did was this job. Yeah. And that, uh, um, I love being in the firehouse. It's, it's, it's. To me, that's that, that's the best part of getting into this job was, you know, I played a lot of sports and that's, you get that locker room feel, you know, where you're just hanging out with guys and you're training and you're, and you're making fun of each other, but you're also getting your jobs. That's, that's been, that's been, my goal is to kind of build that environment at the firehouse level. So that when those guys promote and go out, they take that same approach to the job and make it as fun as you can. I, I love that approach. That's perfect. Um. All right. I screwed up because at the beginning of the episode, I'm supposed to, I have a new question I like to ask people. And, uh, and so I'm going to have to kind of be fancy and splice it into the beginning or some, some shit like that. I don't know what I'm going to do with it right now. Or I might just leave it here for this conversation and, and, and try to get my shit straight later down the road. Um, I'm, I'm a huge music person. I love listening to music. I have it on almost all the time. So I've, I've, I've taken to asking people, what's the last song you heard? Ooh, the last song I heard, uh, it's by, uh, Oh God, I'm gonna mess it up. Um, yeah, look it up. Go for it. Yeah, it's it's by uh, Need to Breathe. I don't know if you heard them. They're a little bit of a more of a Christian rock kind of. Uh, West Texas Wind. West Texas Wind. Okay. Yeah, All right. Live Christian is a beautiful song. It's a All right. Song. Well, there you go. Everybody, go listen to it. Give it a listen to see. <laughs> see. I just like to. <laughs> I kind of expand horizons on on music. I I, I think it's yeah. like reading. We just sometimes we don't do enough of it. Or we get stuck yeah. in a loop and we only listen to the same stuff over and over again. Yeah. yeah. So there's nothing wrong with, with branching out a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so let's get to the last two questions I ask everybody. What's, okay. a, what's an everyday carry for you? What's something that you can't leave home without? And if you do, you feel naked. 
Yeah, I, I, I heard. Yeah, I know you asked this one. Yeah, it's not a surprise. Uh, no, I know. So it, it's for me. It is. It's my phone, but I think it's for different reasons than most people. I'm trying to stay off my phone as much as possible. What I like in my phone are the. I've got all pictures in there that are in an album that I go to when I need to look at past memories. So a lot of them are family related. When my kids were younger. Things that I remember from those days. Um, some of them are work related. Old crews that I I used to work with that just make me laugh. Some of the some of the stuff that they would show me or do to me, you know, and then you take a picture of it. That to me is has been, you know, I I'll lay in bed sometimes after a long days, just pull that album up and just kind of flip through those pictures and, and just it's just kind of goes, oh yeah, I remember that. And those are the things that are important. You know, it's work is important and other things are important. You know, finance and all that stuff, but. To me, it's the relationships that, you know, we build that I want to remind myself, yeah, this is why we do some of this stuff is, is to, to enjoy each other's company. That, that to me has been very important to me. Yeah, well, not, I guess not only that, it's kind of just a comfort thing as well. Yeah. Um, I talked to somebody yeah. who said that they, they only watch old TV shows that they've seen over and over again. And. You know, I, I never knew that that was actually a kind of a trauma response because you, you know how that ends and you, you just, there's no surprise in that. And so it's the same thing for you looking at old pictures. It's, there's no surprise in that. You know what it brought you. And so yeah. it, it's a it's a comfort for for a mind that might be kind of scattered or, or whatever. I'm not saying your mind is scattered, but it, but in other cases. So that's, yeah. it's kind of interesting. I don't know if that's if it's related to that or not, but that's that's where my head went when I when I heard you say that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's nice. What about a book? What have you read lately? Whatever read lately, uh, or it so, doesn't have to be lately. You can be. What, what do you want to share with the audience? Uh, well, there's, there's. I'll give you three. Okay. I'll give you the last. The last one I read was the uh, uh, Wisdom from the Bullfrog. Oh. I believe it's uh, Admiral McGrath was on Joe Rogan's podcast. Leadership book. It's okay. Very good. I, I really enjoyed that. I really liked um, uh, Gerald uh, Jim Mattis' uh, Coltline Chaos. Mm -hmm. That. I, I read a lot of leadership books and military books. So those those two were, were fascinating to me. The one that I think had the most impact on me was uh, Meditations by uh, Marcus Aurelius. And okay. um, I, I kind of got into that after reading um, Crenshaw's, Dan Crenshaw's book. And I was like, what is this? He keeps keep referring back to Stoicism and Stoics and Meditations and all that stuff. And I read it. And... It's it's a weird book. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's not really a book. It's more like diary entries. Um, but it was very, it was very matter of fact. You know, seize the day, realize that death is right around the corner. Don't be afraid of it. But if you look at life that way, it kind of helps you realize. Okay, this is a beautiful day. I get to enjoy that. Not everybody gets to enjoy. Uh, the biggest one that I learned from there was like, sometimes people just aren't going to like you. Some people just don't like you. And that's just the way it is. Um, and, and then there's a lot of other just things in that book. As I read it, I go, man, it's just, sometimes it can be so simple. You get distracted with other things. Um, that's kind of why I like having, having pictures of my phone of old time. You know, these are the things, those moments to me are, are what's more important. It, it kind of solidified what is important, living life, enjoying life and making sure that you're, you know, you're present, it's, you know, day in and day out as much as you can. That's excellent. And, you know, I, I think I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't ask one thing and 
you you volunteered to do this out of the blue. We we we've never spoken before. We've gone back and forth a couple of times on Instagram, but we've never really, we've never spoken before. So I didn't know your story. I didn't know what you were going to come to the table with, and so I just want to kind of make sure that whatever you wanted to talk about, you had a chance to discuss. If there's anything else you wanted to add to what we've already talked about, no, I mean no. This was I didn't know what to expect either, um, but I I. No, I don't. I don't have anything else to add except I appreciate what you're doing. I've listened to a handful of podcasts, and each one I listen to is 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 very eye You know, everybody has a different story, but there's always some similarities. It seems like attached with all of them. You know, everybody's kind of dealing with stuff. So um, that's I. I think what you're doing is great, um, and I'm sending it out to the guys at, at our fire department and on my Instagram page. I try and cut paste podcasts, and the more I think we talk about this, no matter who's doing it the better i think well speaking about your instagram page because i know it's not just your personal page but it, it is for for the for your uh peer support team do you want to give people where they can find you uh the the peer support one is sure. uh, just sac sac metro peer support all right so that's on instagram are you on, on anything else or just is it instagram yeah okay perfect so go out and find them he you know I know you've shared a video or two with me, and uh, I know the last one was about how the backups at the hospital, I believe, and how bad the oh, wait yeah. times were and how crazy it can get. And uh, we're not seeing it to that point yet, but it, but we're definitely seeing some backups. And that, that, that just adds to the frustration. It adds to everything else that this job brings to you. And it's, it's, yeah. it's just, it's another thing that needs to be handled. Yeah, yeah, and, that, and that's something that the CPF is really working with with legislation. But I mean, that, as far as the firefighter right when you're up all night and then you're sitting on the wall for seven hours for somebody who probably doesn't need an ER visit, right. but now you're stuck there for seven hours and you realize you're going to go home and maybe you have your kid's birthday the next day. And you're just like, oh, this it's just, a, it's just that I kind of, it's that, it's that vice grip. It's just slowly mm -hmm. cranking down a little bit. I'm not seven hour wall times. It's a half a spin, you know? And right. It's, yeah. You know, that's it's just, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Matt, I, I, I appreciate the conversation. Like I said, we didn't know where we, where we, we were going to go. You had quite a bit to talk about. Yeah, I feel like you did all the talking, so I nah, it's that's okay. all right. That's, that's all right. The less people have to hear me, the better. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Well, go out there and enjoy the rest of your day out there in California. All right. You do the same. All right, man. I appreciate it. Take care. All right. You too. All right. We're out. Talking, so I Nah, it's that's okay. All right. That's right. That's all right. The less people have to hear me, the better. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Well, go out there and enjoy the rest of your day out there in California. All right. You do the same. All right, man. I appreciate it. Take care. All right. You too. All right. We're out. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com, for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves and remember to check in on each other.